News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Now, there were many fascinating results from election night on Saturday night, but really none more so than what's going on in Surrey. You saw that Brenda Locke is now the mayor-elect, and one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing that Brenda Locke ran on was the issue of policing, saying that she will, and that's what she said, she will cancel the transition to the Surrey Police Service and revert back to the RCMP. Well, now the question is, how? Is that even possible? So let's find out. Joining us now is Melissa Granham, Executive Director of the Surrey Police Board. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Simi. Good morning. Good morning. Where is the police transition at right now? Well, the police transition has moved uh, quite a long ways down the road. We have over 350 staff with 150 who are working 24 by 7 on the front line, taking calls and serving the citizens of Surrey. Uh, we have a collective agreement with the union. We have agreements in place with CUPE as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're working on a daily basis with all levels of government to get SPS to police of jurisdiction status. So, um, and that what that means is uh, SPS will be evaluated by the province that we can meet all BC provincial policing standards. And we anticipate that to be completed in late spring, early summer of this of next year. All right. Well, that sounds pretty far down the line. Can it be stopped at this point? I don't believe it can. I, I believe the province will look at this. They didn't make this decision lightly, um, and they didn't make it with the expectation that it would be an election issue every four years. And I just want to back up as well. So when council made their motion in 2018, they, they knew exactly what they were dealing with as it related to the service delivery by the RCMP. They had decades of data and experience to inform that decision. And the motion that was made was not to do a feasibility study or hold a referendum. It was, if you read it, it was to remove the RCMP as quickly as possible. And that set the motion, uh, the wheels in motion for where we are today. And so today's council has a completely different matter before them. Asking the province to disband a bona fide police service is very different, as you can imagine, than terminating a contract. And they're not fully briefed on all the facts that they need to make that informed decision. So the board is looking forward to and hoping that we can meet with council in the coming uh, days or, or weeks before they're uh, sworn in, because we have full confidence that between the progress to date, the caliber of the police officer that we've recruited and that we continue to recruit, and the importance of the civilian oversight model that we have for the street police service, that there will only be an emphasis on continuing the forward momentum. Are the officers concerned? I mean, we've heard Brenda Locke say, in fact, she said it on our show last week, that they'll all just be able to go back to the jobs that they had before. Is that even possible? Yeah, absolutely. Our police officers are concerned, and, and rightfully so, because that, those aren't fair statements to make. You're hired by the Surrey Police Service, the board is the employer, and we hire people. So they've left a job, and they've come to a new job. If this job ends, they would have to go out and find a new job. They can't just be transferred back. There's no agreements in place to say if this were not to move forward, that they would automatically go back to their original home agency or be or be absorbed into the RCMP. They are a federal employer and we are a municipal employer. There's big differences between the two. There's pension implications and all of those uh, things that go along with that. So it's, it's really a complex issue and it's, it's really unfair to the police officers and to the civilian staff who have come here based on what they believe to be a sound decision by government that this is moving forward. Yeah, are you concerned about what you say are the, the misconceptions out there about this situation? I am concerned, but what we'd like to do is, as I said, meet with council because council needs to receive all of the facts. They need all of the facts before them before they can make that decision uh, to ask the government to reconsider. 
Um, and that's important, be a really important piece is that they need to request that the government reconsider. Um, and so we're a long ways off from that. And like I said, what we're hoping for is that they will uh, give us an opportunity to give them the facts. Right. How expensive would it be at this point to cancel this? We haven't done the math on that. Um, but when you look at what's been invested into the IT infrastructure, what's been invested into the recruiting, uh, the uniforms, all of those pieces, all of those costs that the city can't recover. Um, and then on top of that, any sort of um, uh, termination agreements within the Surrey Police Union. Um, and on top of that, you would have an issue of police officers potentially leaving and then leaving the Surrey RCMP extremely short staff. So there's a number of issues, not just related to cost, but related to public safety. Okay, so if if this were to move forward, then Melissa, how soon would this transition be completed, and there would no longer be RCMP in Surrey? So the way it would work, and we're very confident about this because we're working with provincial government, like I said, on a daily basis, that we are working towards police of jurisdiction, jurisdiction status, and that would be completed. We would be hoping, like I said, late spring, early summer, and at that point. Surrey Police Service would take command of policing in Surrey, and then we would ramp up the phasing out of the RCMP officers. They would get reposted and phasing in of our both of our exempt recruits and our new recruits. So once we have police of jurisdiction status and we can take command of, of policing in Surrey, we would then have a lot more control over the speed and cadence of, um, at which we would fi- finalize the transition. And that would be in partnership with the superintendent of policing, the ADM wing rideout. His job is to ensure that we aren't destabilizing policing by moving too quickly. So the province would work directly with us uh, to ensure that once we have police of jurisdiction status and command of policing in Surrey, that the final transition out of the RCMP from a municipal perspective would happen um, with public safety as its key priority. Okay, so clearly very far along here. What then, Melissa, is the message to this new council and to the mayor-elect? The message is to allow us the opportunity and time to sit with us, uh, to understand where we are in the project, and to understand the human capital involved. And also to understand that these are human beings who have committed their careers to Surrey. Many have sold homes in different provinces and moved here and moved their families here to come and work in the city of Surrey. And they're doing so every day. They're showing up every day within this you know, tense period. And, and their duty and commitment to the city of Surrey, I think, is to be commended at this point. They, they have resiliency, and I'm, I'm very proud of them. All right, Melissa, thank you so much for your time this morning. You're welcome, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, a lot of times when we vote, it's because we want to send a message, right, to the people in charge, how we're feeling about things, which is why it's always so disappointing when I feel like not enough people take advantage of that opportunity that we get to cast that vote. So we know in Vancouver, there was quite the message that was sent uh, to the newly elected councillors in Vancouver. So what are the new priorities going to be? We're going to find out now. Sarah Kirby-Young joins us. Vancouver City Councillor was for the last four years and will be for the next four years. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, Cindy. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, What did you think of those results? I mean, you were right up there, up at the top. Yeah, I mean, it was a historic result throughout the province. Uh, Mayor Alec Kinsim, he won 85,732 votes. That's the highest of any mayor ever uh, in the province. Um, And I think I'm or the number two on that council record. So what we saw in getting every single ABC candidate over the line um, and such a significant tweak, I think, is really reflective of how much Vancouver is ready for change. 
Okay, but what kind of change? What does that mean? Uh, well, we ran a really positive campaign. Um, I We brought forth, I think, a lot of positive energy and ideas and a, a really phenomenal group of candidates with huge diverse experience um, and backgrounds from engineering to business, um, you know, to working in social um, and sort of nonprofit organizations. And I think what Vancouver is really looking for is a focus on public safety, is some serious and significant action on housing and permitting reform to stop those backlogs so the housing projects are not taking years to deliver. Um, And those are going to be a couple of our top priorities right out of the gate. Right. So this is going to be a very different situation than what we had the last four years, which you had a number of different parties. And so you were not never quite sure which councillors were going to vote for what, were you? Yeah, it, it was a very diverse council. And I, I think what we heard on the doorsteps um, and at events and on all the phone calls um, was this notion of team, um, of having a leadership and a sort of a very clear group that could move things forward at City Hall really resonated with people. That was the number one positive comment that I heard. And I think in not just electing ABC, but in sending our entire council slate forward uh, with a resounding eight seats out of 11, including the mayor. That uh, very clearly tells us that they're looking for us to take some pretty clear, decisive action and move ahead. And we'll be able to do that with those voices in the council chamber. Okay, so then what else did you hear from people on the doorstep then? What do they want you to take action on? Um, Well, as I said, public safety uh, was something that we heard significantly. Uh, We heard a lot with respect to housing um, and permitting and just the delays of things being stuck and taking far too long, the complexity of regulations. Um, those were uh, sort of key things. Obviously, a lot of concern with respects to the downtown east side um, in striking that balance and giving people quality housing that they're actually going to be successful in with the right supports. So how do you how do you do that then? Like what was what will be different this time around than what was tried in the last four years? Because there was a lot of stuff that was tried in the last four years. Yeah, I think a lot of this is is really balanced. Um, what we heard is that the balance has, has the pendulum has swung uh, too far one way in the city. Um, and people are looking to ensure that we strike that right balance um, in terms of delivering not just quality housing, but support. And so the, I think we're at that point in the conversation. I would point to something like 58 West Hastings, um, where they didn't just, they're not just delivering a fantastic new housing project, but they actually um, worked with Coastal Health and they have an entire floor of uh, medical facilities on site for residents as well as local um, area folks to be able to use and access. Um, so that people that have specific needs have the ability to access them and be successful. They're not just put in a room without given guidance or the ability to have um, someone help them along that journey to a better place. Right. I also noticed that a lot of the councillors who voted in favour of the, you know, the Vancouver plan, the, the Broadway plan, were re-elected. Some of those who did not were not. So what does that mean for that plan moving forward? Do you foresee any changes there? Uh, we were very clear during, throughout the campaign that, um, as you said, our councillors voted in favour of it um, and that ABC as a party uh, was supportive of the Broadway plan uh, and will continue to be. I think that that is um, the large opinion of the majority of residents uh, in Vancouver. Um, it's going to be our job to ensure that we are bringing the right type of housing along um, and that we have the community amenities to go alongside that to support livability. Okay, so you don't see that being changed. Is there anything that you can think of in the last four years that might be revisited or changed? Uh, I think that our team will be spending, you know, we've we started our transition meetings already. Our group met on Sunday afternoon uh, to really go through how we're going to prioritize and, and sort of lay out our work over the next, uh, the coming four years so that we make sure we deliver. Um, I think what uh, we'll have to do is um, identify what those things are that uh, the city can 
put to the back burner in, part, in terms of making sure that these initial priorities um, are put ahead um, and make sure that we give that clear direction to staff so that we can get some actual traction on some of these issues. This is going to be very different for you personally too, isn't it? It's going to be really different uh, sitting around. Is it, I'm hoping not to be sitting in those long 12-hour council meetings that get bogged down by points of order and procedural delays, um, but that the meetings will be more efficient um, and that will, instead of watering down some things or you know, feeling like you're kind of progressively slightly pushing things forward, that you actually can do so with much more sweeping results. Okay, so what is your message then? I mean, I know we're going to be hearing from the mayor-elect coming up later this morning, and we'll be chatting with him tomorrow morning on the show, but what is your message then to the people of Vancouver? Uh, My message is that we we heard them. We are really grateful for them placing their confidence and their trust in us, and we're going to work very clearly on the priorities that they laid out. This mandate was sweeping, um, and we take that responsibility seriously, and um, and this is the team to do it. We are we we know there's a lot of work ahead of us, but we are gonna we are gonna buckle down and get on with it. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This is mornings with Simi. You know, just a year or so ago, there was so much concern about the cruise ship industry in Vancouver and Victoria. Remember that. Well, now BC is ending its cruise ship season with a near record number of ships and passengers. What happened to turn things around? Well, joining us now is Ian Robinson, the CEO of the Greater Victoria Harbour Authority. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Simi. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a very good, uh, very good year coming out of COVID. Okay, what happened to turn things around? Well, you know, I think... I think, first of all, there's a number of factors. First of all, uh, there was a huge pent-up demand for cruising, uh, I think, by a, a number of uh, you know, people, especially Americans. Uh, I think uh, government got it right, in my opinion, in terms of, uh, of uh, putting together a plan and requirements for ensure that passengers were tested and were safe. And uh, we've seen a good start to the season. I mean, well, and a, and a, good, a good season overall for us here in Victoria. Uh, we've seen a record year, just about 330 ship calls, and that compares to 257 back in 2019 pre-pandemic. And yeah, there were there were early concerns uh, about a year ago uh, regarding the Passenger Vessel Services Act waiver and Jones Act, and those conversations. And uh, I think for the large part, they they are been put on the back burner, but they're still alive, and we need to be carefully watching them but it's been a very good year for us here in victoria i know vancouver's had a great year rupert's had a had a record year so i think uh, all around we're very pleased also i'm interested because i know last time we talked to you ian the ships were just starting to come back and there was a concern that perhaps not all the businesses could ramp up to meet the demand that these cruise ship passengers were going to bring how did that work out well it worked out quite well and 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 you know it was uh, probably a good thing that the ships weren't all that full when they first started. We were seeing ships coming in at around 40 to 50% of capacity, which is what we expected. And that probably helped in terms of allowing businesses and transportation providers to ramp up. And as we've seen the year go through, I think they've been able to better respond. And then now we've seen the ships are upwards of 75, 80% full. So it's worked out well. There's still some gaps. We've got some concerns with taxi service here in Victoria, and uh, and we'll have to really watch that uh, f- uh, for the 23 season. Okay, what kind of concerns? 
Well, there's none. There's not any of them, and I think uh, you know, uh, I, I, and, and my organization have been a strong advocate for Uber uh, to come to Victoria. I know that's in Vancouver, but there's an application in place for Uber to come to come here, and we support that. Uh, I think I know there's uh, taxi issues uh, with uh, pickup at Swartz Bay, uh, BC Ferries, uh, the airports having some challenges. So I think all of us are having some challenges. I think some of the taxi drivers are picking and choosing where they want to go. And so there's some challenges there, but, you know, uh, a very small in compared to what we were facing at the beginning of the year, what we thought were going to be some challenges around COVID. It turns out there were no issues with COVID uh, with passengers arriving on ships and it worked out very smoothly. Right. I guess the challenge here is then to keep that traffic growing and moving, meaning you must always have something new for them to check out. Well, that's exactly it, and I think that's one of the one of the uh, issues that we're going to have to face in Victoria is finding new experiences for passengers to do when they come here. We know that when they come to Victoria, they love the experience. It's one of the highlights of their journey. Uh, but we can't we can't continue to take that for granted. We're always going to have to continue to promote our destination. We're a port of call. Unlike Vancouver, which is a uh, a, a port of entry and a, a home port, and so we're going to have to keep our keep our head down and keep working hard to ensure that Victoria remains on that itinerary. Right. And did you get any feedback from the cruise ship lines as well about sort of oh it's nice to be back in Victoria or we would like to see X Y Z? Oh no, they're happy to be back and 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 Victoria is a, a very positive stop for them. It's a highlight of the journey. Uh, and uh, they're always encouraging any ports of call to try and find new things to do, and I think that's up to us and the operators here in Victoria to continue to promote Victoria as a, as a, as a positive port of call and a place where they want to come. Okay, so then what is next? Are you already planning for next year? Yeah, we're already planning for next year. Uh, you know, we'll see probably close to the same number of ships. Uh, initial birth requests are coming in around 337 calls. And, uh, and I expect the, the ships will be more full uh, at the start of the year. And uh, uh, first ship in is uh, March 30th. So it's, uh, it's not a long time. We've got five more ships this year. Our last call is November 3rd. And, uh, and then a very short off-season, as I said, as we prepare for, uh, prepare for 23. All right. Interesting times. Ian, thank you. You're welcome, Simi. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. What does it all mean? That's what we ask ourselves after there's an election, after there are some really interesting results of an election, which is why joining us now is Dr. Hamish Telford, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of the Fraser Valley. Good morning. Good morning, Simi. How glued to you were your to your TV and your computer on Saturday night? It was a fascinating night. Never seen anything quite like it. Usually in local politics and governments generally, incumbents have a strong advantage. They've got the name recognition. They're doing the job. They look like they're, they should be mayor. Uh, but uh, the voters decided otherwise on Saturday night and tossed a whole bunch of mayors out. It was really quite extraordinary. Yeah, what do you think that tells us? Well, there's obviously uh, pent-up frustration with governments, particularly local governments, on certain issues. That we all know what those issues were, housing, transit, policing, crime. And uh, the people who were frustrated with City Hall were obviously a lot more motivated to vote uh, than the people who were 
to sort of okay with things with the status quo. And, and that's what we saw. Those those people came out and voted accordingly. You know, there's also been a lot of talk about uh, the number of voters who turned out this time around. I thought there would be more people because it just felt like so many people were engaged. And yet voter turnout was not a whole lot higher than what we have seen in years past. Yeah, that's right. You know, political scientists have figured that when there's a competitive election on important issues with controversial figures, uh, turn up goes up, turnout goes up. And uh, I was kind of expecting turnout to go up. We saw a tick up in, in Surrey, yeah. but I was expecting it to go up in Vancouver. Um, but it, it didn't. You know, there were a lot of candidates out there, as I say, trying to mobilize voters. That's why I thought it would go up, and it didn't. Um, but the other thing that political scientists have discovered is that when there's confusion amongst voters, turnout goes down. And, of course, with so many candidates, so many slates, and such a huge ballot, I think a lot of people just gave up trying to make sense of it all. Do you think we need, is there something that we can do to improve voter turnout? It's a really tough issue. You know, political scientists have been studying this for 30 years now, and uh, governments have been concerned about it. Electoral agencies have studied it. And the sorts of things that have been tried don't seem to make much of a difference. We've, we've increased the number of days that you can vote, early voting, mail-in voting, None of it really seems to have much of an impact. Um, I still think there are systemic changes we could consider. I do find the at-large council system that we have in B.C. confusing. That was especially evident in Vancouver with 70 people running for council. Um, A ward system might make it a little easier for voters to digest these things. but it's 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 a really perplexing problem and, and difficult to know what will turn it around. Right. You're saying, I guess people clearly just went with what they saw. They were going to vote the slate. They voted the slate. Certainly that was the case in Vancouver. Um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, give credit to Ken Sim and his party. They've, they've been campaigning since the last election. So they were the ones well positioned to take advantage of this voter uh, dissatisfaction. Right. But everybody always talks about, you know, doing something about award system. Hamish never really seems to materialize, does it? No, we've had referenda on this in the past in Vancouver, and it's always been defeated um, back in the day when the NPA dominated uh, the MPA supporters uh, sort of voted against this to keep out the left-wing party. But I think Vancouver's changed. And, and I think if it was put back onto the agenda and another referendum was held, I, I think we might see a different outcome, especially since Vancouver is now made up of people who have come from all over the world and all over the country that are are used to seeing sort of award system in local elections. Interesting to talk about. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Cindy. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, things are definitely going to be different at Vancouver City Hall over the next four years after the election result on Saturday night. This morning, we're going to hear from the mayor-elect Ken Sim on what the priorities are, what's going to happen. That is at 11 o'clock. Keep it tuned in here for the latest on that. What we do know, though, is that there are still three councillors on council who are not affiliated with Ken Sim's ABC party. And that is Christine Boyle from One City and the two Green Party councillors, Pete Fry and Adrian Carr, who joins us now. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Simi. Uh, what did you think of the results? Like, what do you think people were saying with those results and the way they voted on Saturday? 
Oh, well, obviously it was a change election. Um, they were saying we want something new to tackle the problems that we're concerned about. Um, my, uh, but the second message was we need some people to hold them accountable, especially on some key issues like climate. And that's why Greens actually have um, the second biggest caucus. So in a sense, uh, the second, you know, we are the official opposition. Okay. And what does that mean, though? What that means is hold them, hold them to account on the issues that, that we know are obviously also of top of mind. Oh, seem to be losing. Councillor Carr there. Are you still there? Yeah, I am. Ah, okay, there you go. We lost you there for a second. So you were saying, what, is, what do you think is top of mind then for voters? Uh, well, obviously, top of mind, um, it was, I would, I would say, what, uh, uh, what the ABC party did, did uh, champion, which is around public safety. Um, but because the Greens were elected as the second largest caucus, it's clear to me that one of the key issues is also um, climate. Climate and uh, the health of the environment, um, real uh, bold climate action. Um, and, uh, so, and, and that's what we're there as Greens to hold to account the actions of the ABC party. Um, I've got some concerns around, uh, around the platform on that regard. I think that, uh, you know, they've got statements in there about a flexible GHG reduction policy. This is no time for flexibility. This is a time when we're looking at extreme weather events that have created huge problems and negative impacts on people's health and the quality of our environment, our water supplies. Um, we have to be very bold, and so therefore, um, the, the, the voters have definitely said by electing Greens, you know, hold their feet to the fire. Um, this new government has a supermajority; they can pass anything through. But I'm hopeful that they will listen to both um, the Greens who are there on council and uh, school board and park board, and uh, take, take into consideration that it's the voters who who put us there with that mandate to really push on the um, on issues like a bold climate action. Right. When you look back at the last four years then, which was a very different council setup, right? Lots of different parties uh, there. Did everybody work together very well? Do you think there are lessons to be learned from that? Yeah, we actually, um, we did work together pretty well. Not everybody, um, but enough to move a lot of things through. Um, what most people don't realize, it was a very mixed council, lots of different parties. Um, nobody had a majority, so we were forced to work together in order to you know, move things through. Every motion has to be passed by a majority, and big uh, uh, spending motions by a supermajority. Um, so we, um, uh, we did cross party lines. I must admit that the Greens um, already have a well-established good relationship with um, Lisa Dominato and uh, Rebecca Bly, Sarah Cooper Young, for example, the three um, a, a former NP, sorry, um, former NPA, then became independent, then ABC um, city councillors. So we're looking forward to that continued good relation. Right. That's what I was wondering about that, too, is that now do you think that relationship is going to change? Because really, you all voted, you know, quite you voted together on many issues last last term. Yeah, that's right. Well, certainly, um, uh, I've received emails and, and phone calls from all three of those uh, councillors uh, with the ABC yesterday um, with a commitment to continue to work collaboratively. So I think that's good news. And Ken Sim also called me. We have met over the course of this uh, last um, term um, it, you know, with his, his interest in knowing what my priorities are. So I think that's, that's also, um, I think, 
you know, good news in terms of um, hopefulness around collaboration and understanding that the Greens um, do have a, a key role to play, especially on the issues that the voters elected us on. Okay, so do you have any concerns then, Councillor Carr, over what you've seen, what the priorities are for ABC? You've kind of heard some of the things they're talking about. Is there anything that kind of concerns you that you're going to be keeping an eye on? Oh, absolutely. I am, I am concerned, as I already mentioned, with uh, some of their policy, their platform, uh, which talks about flexible GHG reductions. Um, and, you know, it's, as I say, it's not a time to be flexible. It's a time to be really clear scientists and follow the God scientists who are saying we have to reduce by 45% our greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. And Vancouver's nowhere near on the right path to do that yet. We are, we are good compared to other jurisdictions, but we still have a heck of a lot of work to do with some real focus effort, which will take investment in, um, in reducing GHGs. Uh, you know, I'm also concerned they talked about aligning our building code with the rest of the region's building code. Um, the concern is that uh, around reducing GHGs, the concern is that Vancouver is now in the lead. We don't want to align with the other jurisdictions who are actually looking to us for inspiration and, um, and guidance in, in moving to our standards rather than us sort of aligning right. in any other way. Are you disappointed with, you know, the Green Party turnout? You, yes, you were reelected, as was Pete Fry, but there were fellow councillors that did not. What went wrong, do you think, for the Greens? Well, first of all, I'm, I am devastated that Mike Weave did not get reelected. He's been an incredibly great counselor, um, a joy to work with, very innovative, very much a community person. Having been involved in the Business Improvement Association, the small business in the city, he was a real addition to our team that we are going to sorely miss. Um, you know, it's not about, I think, what went wrong. There was a sea change in this election. Um, the, uh, the voters were turning to a majority, um, and that is uh, center-right, and, um, and the Greens were, I think, very fortunate to have been seen by voters as a really good set of oppositional voices or additional voices to the ABC. So um, the, the problem, I guess, if anything went wrong, I mean, the fact that she ran seven, uh, a, a large majority of councillors for, for council, um, meant that there were very few spots available. If they hadn't run as many, we probably would have got Mike in. Um, but there were very few spots available to split amongst all the other parties running. And there were, as you know, a lot of other parties running. Yes, there were. I saw that. I voted. So there was that ballot for sure. Okay, so are you, are you looking forward to the next four years then? I am. I am because I love what I do. I love this city. Um, I love the people here. I, I know there are huge problems. Um, housing affordability, uh, safety and, and, and homelessness on the streets, uh, obviously the climate crisis, which I've talked to you about, the livability of the city. I'm passionate about wanting to move forward uh, with my colleagues to actually create a better city, um, which is their tagline. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I am passionate about it. And as I say, I love what I do and um, I'm very excited to spend another four years serving the people of the city. Councillor Carr, thank you for your time this morning. My pleasure, Simi. Thanks so much for having me on. This is Mornings with Simi. 